Heavenly Father, we beseech thee. I kneel before you as a member of this age-old craft, praying to you for guidance as I am on a journey. A journey for more light, but more especially light that has been lost, forgotten, or hidden among the ages gone by. The light that connects us with our very meaning and informs us of our purpose. Light locked deep within our past, beyond lips that no longer speak, and paths forgotten, no longer traveled. Aid me in my pursuit, Lord, for historical light. Hey everybody, welcome back to Historical Light, an independent Masonic show focused on the historical events and aspects within Freemasonry. As always, I'm your host, Brother Alex Powers. I want to thank you guys for joining us again. Today is episode number 15. We're actually going to be chatting with the archivist for the Grand Lodge of Kansas tonight and see all the great things that's happening over there. Now, the interview for tonight actually ran a little longer than normal, so we're going to switch up the uh, normal workings of the show so we can fit it in and still keep it in a timely manner. So we're actually going to be cutting out the article that we usually uh, present from masonrytoday.com, but I definitely hope that you'll go over and check the site out and keep up with that great information they're putting out on a daily basis. So let's start the show off by jumping in and paying the bills. Now, tonight's show is brought to you in part by Masonic Revival. Definitely check them out tonight after the show if you haven't done so already at MasonicRevival.com. You're going to find some great quality neckties, bow ties, lapel pins, and so much more. And if you use our promo code, you can get free shipping on your entire order. And that is going to be HLIGHT, all caps, one word, HLIGHT, and get free shipping on your entire order. So definitely take advantage of that. It's a great opportunity. Now, the show is also brought to you in part by viewers like you. If you like what we do here and want to see us continue and blossom and grow as a show, then you can help us support as well. Uh, you can do so by going to our website, historicallight.com. Click on Support Us up in the menu bar, and you can do so through the means of PayPal. We definitely appreciate everything you're willing to offer. Uh, currently trying to save up to get some equipment that will break us outside of just the confines of the studio, be able to do some in-person interviews as well. I've had to turn a few of those down because right now we just don't have the equipment to do so. So like I said, we definitely appreciate everything uh, you're willing to offer and support the show. And uh, hopefully we can get saved up here and get that equipment in hand and uh, bring some fresh content in. Now, breaking into the show, before we get into the interview, I want to give a huge shout out uh, to my brothers Mark and Bill who drove down from Nebraska this weekend. I had the honor of being a special uh, lunchtime presenter for the Midwest Conference on Masonic Education over the weekend. It was a wonderful experience. And like I said, my brothers Mark and Bill from up in Nebraska took it upon themselves to drive all the way down here just to see me in action. It was a huge honor. It was great to see him. Now, the conference went over extremely well. It was amazing. Met so many great brothers, a lot of great presenters. My favorite one, not to choose favorites, but man, it just stood out to me so much, was Brother Patrick Craddock. He presented on the history of the Masonic apron. Blew me away. You know, being a history buff, some of the stuff I never knew before, and it made me look at it in an entirely different light. So if you guys haven't seen him present on this, definitely check him out. Make sure you find out where he's doing the presentation next closest to you 
and be there for it because it'll move you. It was pretty powerful stuff. It was epic. I want to see it again. So definitely do that. But huge shout out to everyone over at the conference. Great job. I can't wait till the next one. And thank you for letting me be a part of that. It was truly an honor. So guys, I'm trying to go and keep this uh, snappy tonight so we can fit in everything and still keep it timely, like I said. So let's go ahead and jump straight into the interview. We're going to be speaking with Dylan from the Grand Lodge of Kansas, who is the current archivist. I hope you enjoy. All right, well, welcome back to Historical Light. Very pleased to have Dylan on the show today. He is the Grand Lodge archivist for the state of Kansas. If you don't mind, Dylan, go ahead and hand it to you if you want to tell us a little bit more about you and some of your background. Uh, absolutely. Uh, usually I like to give kind of my schooling background. Uh, I did an undergraduate degree uh, at Baker University, university uh, with, for history with a minor in sociology. Uh, and then from there, I did a my master's degree in library science at Emporia State University with a specialty in archiving. Uh, they give you a, it's a certificate they call it, but it's basically a special a specialty in archiving. Uh, and then from there, I had different, different archiving jobs uh, in either uh, small private uh, archives or museums. I worked at the Old Castle Museum in, uh, at Baker University. I worked at their archives. Uh, from there, I went to the National Archives for in Kansas City, the federal side. Uh, then from there, I went uh, to the Kansas State Historical Society, so state government side. I had a couple internships in between there, uh, working for Johnson County Community College. I did some volunteer work at the National Order One Museum, so I've kind of been all over the place getting as much experience as I can uh, before I landed at the Grand Lodge of Kansas. So what you're saying is you're bringing absolutely nothing to the table. <laughs> it seems like that. It, it, uh, it was a lot of uh grant work internship work uh, student work uh not a lot of uh full-time salaried position so it's actually good to finally have that <laughs> but yeah i hit i hit the private side archives i hit universities i hit state government i hit federal government i have i hit uh i hit the wide gamut of uh experience <laughs> well it definitely sounds like you do have tons of experience so we're extremely uh, proud to have you on the on the board here in Kansas helping us out. Um, usually what I touch on at this point though is how did you get involved in Freemasonry? Now I have talked to you before and you've mentioned the fact that you're actually not a Freemason so I would like to address how did you get involved in this process and kind of what do you think so far about the craft? Yeah so I guess the parody of that would be how did I get involved with the Freemasonry job and honestly it's it's a little bit of a funny story and I've told it numerous times. Uh, they I was working. I was working at Topeka at the time at the Kansas State Historical Society off uh, off of Wanamaker. So I was already technically in the area, uh, and my boss there. Uh, I worked with a specific grant project that worked with digitizing newspapers for Kansas, uh, and that was a grant filled position. So it had a very definite term on how long I was going to work there. I still had some months left, but I knew eventually that I would I would have to work somewhere else because money for that grant was going to end. 
which the grant money went towards my salary, so I wasn't going to be paid anymore. Uh, so I knew I was on the lookout. My boss knew I was on the lookout for a job. And one day he came up to me and asked, uh, hey, do you know very much about Masons? And my first two thoughts were, does he mean stone actual Masons? Now what I know now is part of Masons, or is he talking about the, uh, the society? And I, from my experience at that point, to me is honestly a 50-50. Uh, from a, someone working in Topeka, if I knew more about it, knowing the Grand Lodge was there, it would have probably been 100% always talking about the fraternity. Uh, but having no frame of reference, I always 50-50 on what the, what the heck he was talking about. Uh, and then he kind of showed me about the job. I looked at the posting, uh, knew, I kind of I mentioned before, of all kind of the sides of archiving that I had been involved with, and the one I liked most was private side. I like kind of having the freedom, and their collection, private collections are usually more developed or focused is kind of the right word. They deal with a more of a specific topic or specific thing, because that's, that's why they're in existence. Uh, and that's kind of like what I liked best. I liked I like involving myself with a topic or subject, if that's the right word, and then kind of immersing yourself in it, and then you know a lot more about it. Uh, for example, if you went to the National Archives in Kansas City, they're federal, uh, and so they collect on so many things, and you can't really be an expert or know a lot about one particular thing because you're working with federal courts, uh, in Bureau of Indian Affairs, immigration, prisons. It, you just can't you can't focus on anything. And so when I saw this job op opening, I was like, that sounds like exactly what I want to do. Uh, and so I went and interviewed and apparently did well enough to the council administration and got the job. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Well, not having a personal connection to Freemasonry, do you know of any in your family history at all? I do a little bit. I, I've researched uh, my, my family side. Uh, I am very closely uh I guess involved, I guess is not the right word. I'm very close to my mother's side of my family. Sure. Uh, not so much as my father's side of the family. Uh, my father's side is kind of the traditional uh, big German family in Kansas. So there's, I think my brother, or my dad is one of 12 siblings. Oh, wow. Uh, they all, even under, under that generation, they propagated a lot. So there's just a lot of them. Uh, and so I don't really get too involved with them, but my uh, my mother's side is much more smaller, and so it's just easy to be involved with. And so I looked through their history a little bit, and I actually got to ask my grandma uh, because I went through our the records for the lodge in Dighton, Kansas, which is where I'm from, and I was finding uh, they actually they consolidated the first year I started working at the Grand Lodge and they consolidated into Scott City, and Scott, Scott City had a limited amount of space to take on new stuff in their lodge. And so one of the things that we offer is if a first and foremost lodge records belong in the lodge, uh, that particular local lodge, we don't, I always like to say we don't, we don't want to reach out and take everything from the local lodges. It's their history. It should belong with them. If they don't have room or they don't want to or don't know how to take care of it, we do take it in and uh, catalog it and take care of it. Uh, and for this particular 
situation. Scott said he didn't have enough room. They sent all of Dighton's stuff up here. I'm from Dighton's, and I had a very, very... My curiosity was peaked, so I looked through everything, and I found a... I found the original petition and uh, records for my great uncle, and I found the original petition that was only filled out to only went to the first degree for my grandfather, wow. who, I was really, who I was really close with. And I, uh, my great uncle's name was Max, and I found all his records. I found him in the minute books and found his membership card at the Grand Lodge. I was like, okay. He was a full member. That makes sense. And he, he'd already passed away at this point, so I couldn't talk to him. Uh, my grandfather had passed away fairly recently, so I couldn't talk to him, but I was also very close to my grandmother. Grandmother. So I, next time I saw her, I went and talked about it. Like, why did he only take the first degree? Because I was very curious, because I assumed if his had was a member, I kind of just assumed you know, maybe he, he would be a member too. And then I only specifically found that he only took the first degree and I was like well that's curious there's surely a reason for that right uh, and so and it's something of course I've uh, my grandparents lived like four blocks from me it was a very small town I spent a lot of time with them never came up uh, masonry <laughs> never came up so I was like that's a story I've never heard I should go figure that out and so I went to talk to I think it was maybe the Christmas after I started working there and I asked her about it and kind of not expecting her to one either remember anything about it or two just be such a kind of maybe a smaller incident in her life uh that she wouldn't remember it and so i asked her about it and she had the story ready to go uh it i had kind of forgotten about this he uh he and his wife owned the liquor store in dighton okay. uh and so when he found out i guess through taking his degrees that he could not sell liquor as a mason, uh, he's like, well, that's that's enough for me. I I I'm going to pick my livelihood over being a mason. So he stopped and dropped out. And then I think a few years after that, uh, the rules changed for in masonry where you could sell liquor. And they're like, oh well, now now you can. So you probably want to come back, right? Uh, and I think it was. Again, I don't. I didn't know my grandfather back then, obviously. Uh, but I think it was kind of the stubborn streak in him, where he, my grandma passed along to me that he said, or it was thought that if you didn't want me when I sold liquor, I didn't change from back then to now. So there's no point in me joining. Right. Uh, which was it was an interesting story. Uh, one I did not expect to get to hear. Right, and that's the, you know that's one of been my one. Jeez, can't talk. That's been one of my favorite points of actually going through Masonic research is there's so many little stories like that that just get brought to the table. They just never really get brought up. And it's it's really interesting to hear. It adds a whole other level um, or a whole other layer to the knowledge out there. And it's it's great to uncover those and bring them back to light and really connect those dots, so to speak. Yeah. The, uh, the amount of times when I've gone through stuff and just gone, oh, my gosh someone needs to research thing research yeah. this thing i just found and i can't do it because there's about 500 of those and if i did <laughs> research every single one uh i would have about as much done as i when i first here and 
there'd be no there'd be no projects done and it'd still be a mess over there. <laughs> I, I know the feeling completely. I'm I'm a far from a multitasker, but my brain tries to be, so I end up going off in a thousand different directions. Yeah. yeah. If you don't keep yourself on something, it's very easy to fizzle out multiple different ways. <laughs> yeah. The struggle is real. <laughs> now, going through all this and finding those, you know, family connections and ties that you didn't quite know about before, uh, has it sparked anything? Do you think that you will ever consider joining the craft in the future? Uh, it's something, and I, again, this is the one I've got and explained a lot. Uh, it is something I have considered. It's it's more of a personal thing, honestly. Yes. Uh, and I actually, actually just recently kind of put it into perspective or how I want to think about it in my own mind. One, uh, timing is a lot of it, just because I have a, I have a very busy social life. I have a, I have a lot of friends. I live in Lawrence, uh, and I have I think almost all eight to ten of my best college friends all still live in the area, so we still do a lot of stuff. Uh, and honestly, it's kind of a personal reason whereof. It's what's the best way to explain this? It's almost like if you do something very involved with your job every day on a daily basis, it gives me a good break when I come home and don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Uh, it's something, and I've thought about it a lot, and it's probably something that I would most likely do after I left this position, honestly. Sure. Uh, the, I was talking to, I have lots of library friends, uh, and one, uh, a friend of mine put it in, put it in better terms of thinking about it in her situation than I was capable of doing, because she's a lot smarter than me, uh, is she talked about, she works as just, I don't, public librarian, I didn't want to say regular librarian, a, a public librarian, uh, and she talked about how uh, she gets invitations to be a part of or run uh, book clubs after work, and she always turns them down because she she said she does that every single day. She doesn't want to come home on any given day or week or month or whatever and have to run a book club, which is basically what she does at work every single day. Right. I was like, oh, that kind of makes sense. Uh, but it is it's nothing nothing I'm obviously turned off by because I find it the one the history is incredibly interesting uh, and. Two, it's obviously just from my viewpoint, it's a great organization. Uh, I enjoy working there, but I also do know that there's a certain finite amount of time that I can spend there. Uh, I hope to get numerous more years out of it, but at some point, all all jobs have to come to an end. Uh, and so that's probably usually, at least in my brain, as this my life schedule as I have it worked out now, is probably when I'd look at it, honestly. Wonderful. Yeah, I, I can totally understand, you know, the burnout factor, especially as <laughs> deeply involved as you are, um, you know, with the documentation and everything now. it's I can understand wanting to get away and kind of free your mind after work. So don't take that in any way as kind of pressuring you in. Obviously, oh, yeah. Freemasonry has to be something on your own accord and, you know, within your yeah, heart first. Right. But, um, yeah, you know, going through uh, my family history and everything, the Masonic history side has really been something that's been kind of the hook for me. You know, it, it, mm -hmm. I got into Freemasonry interesting in the beginning, but once I really delved into the history, it was like, wow, there, there's something here. So being as deeply invested as you were, it kind of made me uh, wonder how your experience has gone and what it's made you uh, 
think about going through it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it certainly makes, uh, it would make a lot of sense. And I always like the, always like the stories when I get, because uh, one of the big things I do there uh, is give tours. And usually the two, the two big groups that I, people that I give tours to are out of jurisdiction members and then usually either one member that's in state with either like a family or a spouse or something like that mm. or someone who's not a member or a family member family of a member but the member's not there so it's usually usually I'm giving the two spiels I give during tours are the comparison spiel which is this is this is the building that you're used to, this is the building, this is like what our Grand Lodge is like, as opposed to the Grand Lodge of Kentucky or New York or whatever, or kind of explaining Kansas masonry to someone who doesn't know about it, but knows either, you know, their grandparent was, or their husband was, and he's just not here, or they're they're kind of wanting to know more about it while the person's not there. So I usually get, I get to give the spiel of kind of explaining Kansas masonry a little bit and the history about it a little bit to someone who's who's interested but not really into it uh, and then of that group I usually get uh, the smaller smaller group which is sometimes my favorite is someone who's a new member or starting a uh, my favorite to hear is uh, I joined I joined five years ago I'm a first generation Mason they don't have any they don't have any connection to it so they they kind of have that uh, oh it is probably too grandiose of a term but like a uh, like a like a trailblazing kind of feel to it like they like they, sure. they're starting they're starting the history I guess is maybe a way to look at it uh, and so they're really they're really interested in hearing about all this new stuff right. Uh, that they're kind of getting a chance to continue. Yeah, uh, so those, those are connections here. Yeah. And good, good connections to hear about. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. Now to kind of get into the work you do and the, the, uh, you know, overall goal of the Grand Lodge is, uh, in regards to the history, where would you say that we were, uh, in regards to our history before you started? I know, I know, you know, we just kind of, Grand Lodge started really delving in and taking care of our history within the last, you know, several years, unfortunately. Um, but where, where were we before you came along? Oh, that's a tough question. And I, I always, I always feel bad about answering this cause I don't want to, I don't want to bad mouth too much anything that happened before me. Uh, as far as having stuff actually collected because that's one of the one of the problems that you see a lot and I've actually when I started working here uh, one of the reasons that I that I, I don't know but I think made me a little bit more of a attractive candidate to work here is some of the work that I did at Baker University that had their own their own archives that had their own problems uh, they their own situation was they had a had an archivist that worked there for 20 30 I don't know, maybe even longer and that's usually what you see and she had everything squared away in her own mind and when she needed to find stuff she could because she she's the one who did it all uh and then she passed away and kind of all that internal information and contextual information was lost because she's the only one that had it and it was all internal to her right and so when she passed away 
the archives kind of fell in a mess because no one knew how to run it and how to find stuff. And then I was an internship for the lady that took over after her, who was doing a, a wonderful job, uh, but kind of limited in what you're doing. And so I kind of described that as uh, triage archiving. You're just kind of doing as best as you can with what you have at the right now at, at the time, while right. still also you're still having to take in new stuff. You have to having to deal with uh, researchers who come in who want the old stuff that hasn't been that is all organized. I'm sure in some way, but not into not into a way that you understand and can make use of it. And so I, I worked in that situation for about two two to three years, and so I was really good at working kind of with a mess, is the best way I can kind of right. put it. And so when I came to work at the Grand Lodge, that's kind of what it was. Uh, there was no catalog or inventory, so at the way the way I describe it is everything in that building until I got my hands on it was considered a backlog of just information. Uh, and so that was the problem, but as far as having stuff there and having, I don't know if the good right term is having the right stuff there as far as collecting, because you're, you are a collecting agency, uh, that was pretty good. Uh, so the stuff was there. Sometimes when you come into an institution like that, you find that they haven't been collecting the right stuff or they've been throwing away the right stuff. Uh, this was, the Grand Lodge was much more the opposite. There was everything that probably should have been kept and about 10 times extra of stuff that didn't <laughs> need to be kept at all. Uh, I, I can understand. Yeah, so there's been lots of, uh, lots of weeding, uh, lots of getting rid of kind of the stuff that's not necessary. Mm -hmm. uh, but as far as that aspect of it goes, it was pretty good. The main problems were, well, the biggest problem was the lack of an inventory or catalog. They had, sure, they had no idea of what they had. They couldn't find anything that they needed to, uh, and this still happens on tours every now and then, where someone will come in and say, "I think since I've been working here, I think it's happened maybe four or five times." Of, hey, my grandfather, my fam grandfather's family, something like that, donated this in 1920. I would mm -hmm. like to look at that. And we kind of just have to go, I'm sure we have it somewhere. It's in that uh, pile uh, over I, there. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, we can, we can go and look for it together. Uh, and so that, you don't like to have that happen. Uh, and to a certain point, to a certain point, uh, once that stuff is donated, I mean, that's a problem that will exist forever. If the contextual history and donor information isn't taken when someone gives you something in 1920, there's a good chance you're never going to get that information again because right. the person who donated it's gone or they've just plain forgotten about it. Uh, so that's a problem we're kind of correcting. But I, I guess to answer your question, overall, we've taken a lot of good steps. We kind of... Uh, Kind of like you said about multitasking, a lot of the, the big problem that happens a lot is projects get started because it's the pressing it's the pressing problem to fix at the moment. Yeah. Uh, either I don't know an event is coming up or there's some sort of oh a research question that uh, that is pressing that needs to 
the answer is in this big collection over here that is in total disarray, but we know the answer's in there. So then we have to go through that collection and process it, organize it, get it all straightened out so you can find the answer. Right. Uh, and so a lot of times the problem I feel so fine with myself is starting a project and getting about halfway, three quarters through it, and then another big problem comes up, and then we have to fix that. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's, it, it can definitely be a spider web, and you know, I know that from my research. And to c touch on a couple points there, you know, definitely not bringing this conversation up to badmouth anybody or anything like that. Yeah. Um, dealing with history is it's a huge job, and to do it right is, is very time-consuming. Um, just going through from the history of my lodge, you know, just trying to digitize one minute book, it takes forever. Yeah. And looking at the the amount that has been stored inside the Grand Lodge over the years, there is a lot of work there. So, you know, first of all, not having somebody to do it full time the right way makes a big difference. Having yeah. someone come in with the knowledge to do that, the ability to do that and how to do it correctly, it's huge, but it takes time. And like yeah. you said, you know, there's there's more stuff coming in over over the time period uh, constantly, and especially with uh, you know, unfortunately, masonry kind of taking a decline and stuff. We have lodges closing and everything, and I know a lot of that stuff ends up in Grand Lodge. There is a lot there um, to go through, so definitely not to badmouth anybody, but you know, yes, I, I I would say that you know we weren't in the best of shoes before you came in, just because the influx of stuff there that's just not steadily being processed. But it's it's a lot of work. It really is. Yeah. The uh, one of the things that and this has happened this happens to uh, Tracy as well as uh, every and basically everyone that works there is we'll start I'll start working on something or they'll they'll do something on their side on the office side uh, and then you either for me it's either walking back to the library stacks or somewhere in the museum or walking downstairs where. You've done you've done a bunch of work and you've processed all this collection and you've you've boxed up twenty or so boxes and you feel good and then you walk downstairs and you see oh my gosh there's still so much more stuff yeah and you kind of you have that second you have that second where you get disheartened again it's like oh my gosh there's still so much more but then then you just have to pick up and pick up the new project which and I also I also feel bad that. Uh, saying about how much there's you know this project needs to be done and this i've started this and haven't quite got it finished yet i should do a better job of mentioning of all the things we have got done and there's there's been a lot of a lot of good work done too that is actually completed well definitely yeah and we're we're going to touch on that as well so why don't we use that as a, a good little segue to show where we are at this current point um you know what are some of the things that have been completed and what is the current outlook okay uh Okay, I'll try to think of all the at least all the the completed good stuff that I, I like to talk about. It's it's uh, useful and really interesting. Uh, I think I briefly mentioned the charter digit digitization, which is done, and that was a that was a really good thing to start off with when I first started working there and to get done because they were they were one they were in a dire situation when I arrived. Mm. Uh, they were they were kept in this. Uh, old wooden cabinet of like a flat file cabinet uh with very very thin drawers which is which is fine uh and if they weren't overstuffed the thin drawers were like stacked up too high within the drawer right. so when you, when you'd open the cabinet there was a good chance of the top usually the top one or the top few 
that would catch on the shelf above it and base I call it getting accordioned because it catch on the top and you pull the drawer out and you'd push it back in and what I eventually found is when we finally got the cabinet kind of emptied and pulled out a lot of the charters that were missing were accordioned up in the back of the cabinet because they'd been they'd been pressed and right back there and I know it's a bad thing to say uh, to admit that you know kind of this bad stuff happened to lodges charters that were entrusted to the Grand Lodge and be kept safe there uh, I don't want to say that's a bad thing to admit but it's the truth and it happened so I like to I like to remain as transparent as possible yeah and and to touch on that because yeah I can definitely see people looking at it from an outside perspective and just freaking out uh, yeah Masons we we tend to do that we like to great <laughs> but we have to keep in mind that there's one Grand Lodge for all the stuff that's being shoved in there. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, guys, we, we can touch on so many levels here, dues being one of them. Uh, you know, for, we're not giving the Grand Lodge um, the financial ability to keep this stuff. It's limited capabilities. Um, the yeah. main point we need to focus on um, looking at this is not getting mad at the situation that we're in, but looking at the fact that we are taking measures to correct it. Um, they have addressed yeah. that there's an issue, and they are taking steps to correct it. So, you know, I, I see where you're coming from of you know not wanting to term it like that, but really it is what it is, and you know people have to yeah. to realize that and know that we are moving forward. We're we're taking steps there. I mean, it, it's a battle. Yeah, that's that's a good way to phrase it because we because we we. Found that problem, addressed it. Uh, we have them that cabinet. That cabinet's not used anymore. Uh, we have them now in a much larger uh, flat file, a steel uh, flame resistant flat file cabinet. We bought, we bought three of them because we know. I mean, if you think about think about charters, they are and the same for dispensations, which I can I can get to because we're currently working on that. Sure. Uh, uh, that's at least one for every lodge that's in existence uh, uh that also includes one for every lodge that is not in existence anymore right uh, and then within that there are different uh based off whatever that lodge wanted to do throughout its history uh they could have copies or duplicates made they we ha- we found a bunch that were either they had a copy that was framed. Uh, we I've seen one that was put on a copy was made and then put on a plaque, a big a big plaque. I saw one that was, and I can't remember what lodge it was, but someone got a copy, put it on a uh, twenty by twenty four, basically sheet of wood, and then did lacquer over that. Uh, I guess I guess it's close to a. It's al- it was almost like a homemade plaque, kind of, instead yeah. of like doing like bolting a plastic sheet to keep it on there. Uh, it was literally just a. It was almost like wood with a charter wallpaper over the front of it. Huh. Uh, so people, lodges have done their own thing throughout the history, but the, the the point is there's lots of duplicates of each charter as well. Yeah, I mean that I that think, may preserve it just fine, but hearing that kind of made me cringe a little bit. Yeah. I'm glad I'm glad they used a copy for it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but so there so there's a lot uh, for that project and we got it we got them all digitized. Uh, we had uh, we have nice uh, big high definition TIFF images of every charter. Uh, so that that was one thing that we got taken care of. Uh, 
see big projects that have been completed since since started we had a uh, uh, one that's it's technically complete is not the right term for it but we wanted to start a online collection of uh, sort so we got we have a online website right now uh, I kind of like to describe it as a portal more of a website uh, but it's uh, ran and housed on the server for the the uh, collection software system that we go through to that we use on our well my computer we only we only bought one license for it uh, to kind of keep records in, and one of their services that they offer is they also provide you with a website that you can kind of customize and put stuff up on there. Uh, I like to say that's completed because we got the initial stuff done for it. It is much a uh, it's a long term project, and the reason why we got started on it so soon is because we were we were given a very 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 generous donation by the uh, Kansas Lodge of Research to purchase the software. And get it up and going. Uh, it was it was always something that we were going to do. Uh, it was just go, for from our side paying for it and implementing it was going to be down the line essentially. Sure. Uh, but when when someone says they're going to pay for your software to use in your uh, library, you don't turn them down. Correct. Uh, so we did. <laughs> so we did not turn them down. And so we got it, we implemented it, and we got we got a lot of stuff on the website, uh, and it's useful and it's helpful to a point, but it's just kind of limited in its current process or in its current state right now, just because. Oh, to put it mildly, you the kind of the general flow in archiving is you kind of handle all that. Uh, cataloging and inventorying and processing first and then you put stuff kind of on the front end uh the two big things in archiving is uh preservation and access those are the two those are at least the two big things i've been championing at the grand lodge and in my opinion preservation comes first uh there's kind of a big debate big debate of which one is more important uh they both are but uh, which one is more important because archives and libraries and museum exist to serve your patrons, whatever it be is the public or membership or whatever, whatever your unique situation is. They exist mainly to serve those people, but you have to still have the stuff to serve them with. So I yeah. kind of think preservation comes first. Uh, so that's kind of been where a lot of our, early work has been on is processing and cataloging and that stuff. So what has gone up on the website has been putting it in a good perspective from my view <laughs> is limited. Uh, we do try to get some stuff. I wanted, I want to kind of add stuff on there, hopefully quarterly on a yearly basis. Uh, that quite hasn't happened yet. So maybe Maybe two times a year we'll do a big influx of documents on there and photographs on there because that is that is what people get the most use out of, uh, and so that is something that we need to keep in mind as important and keep working at it. Uh, but sometimes it does fall to the wayside a little bit. Uh, but I do can I do count that as something that is done and established 
and it just needs a little bit of extra work done on it. Sure. Well, and you were mentioning, you know, it, it's a tough battle of which which to do first, and we run into that at my lodge. Like I like I said, going through and just trying to digitize one minute book, it takes time. It takes a lot of time, you know, page after page, and trying to get that right uh, that right image, saving it, you know, categorizing all that. It takes time. So then you also run into issue of, well, first of all. Masonic lodges, for God knows why, are plagued by fire and water. So there's no promise the stuff's going to be there tomorrow. I, yep. We've lost so much <laughs> in the past. Yep. But you run the risk of, while you're doing this book, that other book, something could happen to it. Um, yeah. you know, either a natural disaster or just the fact that they're already not in the best shape. Um, that ink is disappearing off the pages. Some of the pages are so brittle you just can't turn them anymore. So... Mm-hmm. There is that uh, there is that more leaning side towards preservation because you got to preserve this other stuff to make it last for you to even get to it to digitize it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so yeah, it, it's a it's a battle, but yeah, they they both need addressed. But I would say preservation. I would have to agree that that does kind of take precedent because the side digitization just takes forever. So yeah. it needs to be there when you're ready for it. And yeah, and if it's not there anyways, you can't. It, precisely. You can't, you can't give access to it later. <laughs> right. So yeah, that that that's a huge point. Now, so we kind of uh, touched on the current status of where we are um, within our process in the Grand Lodge Museum. What would you say is the outlook of where we're planning to be, and kind of a timeline that you see stuff progressing? Well, I can I can only speak for kind of the internal stuff and how collections go. Uh, the one thing that I'm hoping to have done is. Well, the, the, the long term is have one, have everything cataloged and inventoried uh, so we know everything that we have. That in itself is probably my, and I, I, can, I remember this because I always feel bad when I go back and talk to uh, either, either Grand Secretary or anyone on the COA or Grand Master at the time because we, I tried to ballpark stuff when I first started working here and in the first month or two and I kind of got kind of still getting my feet wet i was trying to trying to estimate what the process would be like and how long that process was process would be i have now since working here for two roughly two years saw how that original estimate was off a little bit Mm. uh i kind of i kind of uh misjudged how much kind of the daily oh how much work would be put into genealogy research, uh, research, any other type of research, uh, tours, and kind of the, the biggest one are museum displays. Mu- museum displays take a long time to put together, uh, and uh, we usually try to do them on a monthly rotation basis of six months. Uh, usually that works out because there's some other event that is coming up, and we try to tailor our exhibits to that specific event, so that rotation is not a problem to withhold, but when you're working with, I think right now we have four four display cases that are open and can have rotating exhibits in. And I really didn't think, I never thought that I'd say six months is such a short amount of time. But it feels like you get you plan and get one done and that kind of takes up your entire day when you work on an exhibit. And then the next case is opening up and you got to fill that one up. And so that, that kind of wipes days and weeks away right but for for doing inventory and cataloging the cataloging the backlog we're hoping to have done completely my estimate is maybe three four 
ish years, maybe on the long term of that. Uh, as having kind of the bigger stuff done, uh, and when I say, I guess when I say bigger stuff, we kind of have big collections that we worry about uh, in the museum and archives. Uh, one is, I just call them the lodge files. They mm. are, and I don't want to get too detailed off of like space oriented stuff for people who are watching this or listening to this that haven't been to the Grand Lodge of Kansas. But if you go, if you go into the museum, uh, we had a long row of filing cabinets on the left side as soon as you walk into the museum. And those were what we called the lodge files. Those were files taken in, uh, freely donated by individual lodges throughout the course of Masonic history in Kansas, uh, that were kept. And that is as far as archival material that is already kind of organized into a lodge lodge because everything's done by lodge number there into a lodge basis. That is kind of where the bulk of the material is. Uh, so we hope to have that done. I've mentioned the dispensations a couple times. We are nearing the finish of that. Uh, they come from a collection called the Lodge Transcript Files, which are one of the most amazing collections we have. Uh, the Lodge Transcript Files are what I call founding documents, which is the best I can come up with a term. They are kind of the surrounding documents that were kept, uh, because I, I don't know when. I'm guessing it was probably done on a case-by-case -case basis when a lodge was started, but each lodge has about a folder or two that has all the paperwork that I can tell that was saved from when they were founded and starting their lodge. So that is the original petition, the original dispensation, uh, some of the early letters back and forth about individual members being in good standing, uh, early lodge bylaws, uh, some in early back when individual lodges had their own proceedings there, which is now kind of, from what I can tell, isn't really a big thing anymore for individual lodges, uh, individual proceedings, uh, some of the first trial transcripts, transcripts that a lodge for the first trials that they had, uh, some just like amazing, amazing history and stories that come out of those files. And, uh, were once we get kind of done with them, because that's, I mean, throughout uh, Kansas Masonry, there's probably been close to, what, 500 or so lodges. Each lodge has at least one folder that's stuff full of stuff. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff in there, and it takes a long time to go through it, because each one is, one, incredibly important, and especially when uh, the majority of our lodges are chartered around the 1880s area, very old and fragile so that takes a long time to go through uh but that's one 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 collection once we get done is we'll probably have to start looking at maybe digitizing stuff here and there for it and getting online uh just because man the, the stories that come out of there some of those early trials are just crazy interesting oh yeah uh the early early petitions that, that for to starting lodge that have I mean, like the first, so for those early towns, I mean, that's probably like the first, what, 10 or 12 or 14 people that were probably involved in building the town. I mean, because usually my overview of kind of masonry and 
population demographics in Kansas, as people moved west uh, throughout the the lodges usually weren't too far behind them once the town got started. Right. Uh, so there's interesting, interesting signatures. Uh, just, uh, just a lot of stuff that you can be gleaned from that collection. That hopefully, once we get done, is will be very, very interesting to researchers. Definitely, all the uh, all the above stuff that I love to nerd out on for sure. <laughs> yeah. to, uh, to jump back real quick though, you, you did mention you know underestimating the time frame. And I personally gotta apologize because I don't think it's fair to leave myself off knowing how much I've blown you up over messenger and email. <laughs> you know, being, being a history nerd, knowing you have the access to it, I, I've been all over you, so I apologize about that. Oh, that's no no worries. One of my, one of my favorite things to do is actually I like uh, uh, I like the research aspect side of it because one I don't get to do a lot of research. The only time I ever do research is. Uh, for a specific article, uh, and those are usually sh small and in a narrowed focus. Uh, so that's about the only time I do research because if I did it any other time, I would it would just take up time from other stuff. Sure. Uh, but one of the I wasn't I wasn't always this way, but one of the kind of give you a little bit of background of library and archival work is. Uh, Usually, at least at least for the school that I went to, there's uh, you can you can specialize in it, but they always make you do this at some point, and it's reference reference work. Uh, you have to do some sort of reference with the public where they come in and ask you questions. Uh, my least my least favorite thing is was working a front desk reference request because that's it's mm. what's called ready ready reference, which is basically you have to sit at a desk and do your best to answer any question that someone comes up to you and asks. Uh, it's a lot harder in a public library because that library, because they can come up and literally ask you anything. And yeah. they, can ask you, they can ask you, how do I start a small business? Uh, what's the capital of this country over here? It can, it can be anything. Uh, and you have to be at least willing and able to answer any spot any question on the spot and that made that made me really nervous it was my least favorite part of doing schoolwork and becoming a librarian uh i did if it had to work a front desk when i worked for the national archives uh and so doing enough doing enough of it i got a little bit better at it and like kind of what i mentioned with working at a private organization it becomes a lot more narrowed. So I still technically do ready reference, but it at least usually has something to do with the Kansas masonry, which I feel a lot more comfortable answering questions about. Yeah, well, uh, yeah it's, so, it's more specific for sure. I, I think if I was in that ready reference position, there would totally be Google up in front of me all the time. Oh, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, yeah, that Google is your friend, but if, if you don't have a, if you don't just have the personality for it, right. I, I generally with, strangers and public in general i'm a very awkward person so it was it literally was terrifying for me so i'm glad i don't have to do it I, anymore i could imagine well you, I mean, you never know what's coming your way so it's a lot of curveballs there now jumping back into uh the grand lodge and stuff we, we've talked about how much history is there just you know jam-packed in what are the plans on displaying all that and do we have the capabilities to display all that yeah, well, it it depends on how you want to. It depends on what you need to display, and I guess how you're going to display it. As far as as far as 
like the main the main display functions for the building there are shifted towards the museum side. I mean, because mm-hmm. it was built with a museum space, and that's one of the reasons. I mean, that's one of the reasons why it was built. And right now, as the layout, the current layout of the building now, that's as far as physical displayed stuff. That's what it's geared towards. Sure. Uh, so that. That's kind of taken care of. Uh, at a certain point, uh, as far as 3D artifacts go, there is a bit of a limit. I guess is the right word. There's only there's only so many theme dis- coherent themes for displays that you could do with the amount of 3D artifacts we have right now. Right. I would say that limit is still way off in the distance because the majority of our 3D artifacts have not been on display. Well, they've, they've been in cases because they were stored there, but as far as a working coherent display that gives off a theme and presents information like an ex- mm-hmm. a display or exhibit should, they have not been in that situation yet. So there is a finite amount to that, but we haven't, we're not close to it yet. Uh, and then you can augment that with, uh, and I, I haven't gotten this critique yet, but I could, I would understand it if someone came in and gave me this critique. Uh, a lot of the displays that we do right now, as far as 3d in cases, uh, we augment it with a lot of textual, uh, stuff. We put, uh, we put a lot of Currently, we have actually have a lot of original documents in there, which I think are cool because you get to see the original. Uh, but we also do a lot of reproductions done on like foam core or backer board or something like that, or uh, do a copy and put it in a frame or something like that and display it that way. Uh, that I don't want to say we have an infinite amount, but there's just so much of it where we won't run out of it in a uh, feasible amount of time. Uh, Mm-hmm. But that's that kind of only covers that only covers people who come into the Grand Lodge. That right. that's only what you see there. Uh, what we want to do is in the end game grow our online collection. That is that is where libraries and archives are moving. Obviously, uh, everything's getting everything's getting put up on the web. We have the good foundation for it with what has been given to us uh, by the Kansas Lodge of Research and the uh, software that they donated. Uh, We have a lot of work to do with that uh, because we have stuff stuff is kind of just getting the stuff that's on there now is kind of put up there with what uh, has been inventoried with it, the amount of information with it. When I go, when I go, I guess I'll give a little bit of background with it. When I inventory and process collections, uh, we take about six to eight identifying facts with an item. Uh, that is like the collection it belongs to. So think Grand Lodge of Kansas, York Rite, Kansas, uh, Scottish Rite, New York, if for some reason we have something from New York, uh, title, date, donor information, uh, 
a creator owner, which is usually, that's usually what gets broken down into lodge ownership, which would be Gardner Lodge, right. Scott Lodge, whatever, that, that kind of breakdown. Uh, and then kind of some uh, location identifiers, which is like box number or shelf number, whatever it happens to be. Uh, so that is the amount of information that's taken when you, when I do an inventory, which I like to I like to make a difference between inventory is kind of a quick bare bones helps you identify what this is and where it came from. Uh, cataloging is a little bit more involved. But we take, we've only been doing inventory because of time and amount of stuff that we have to go through. That's a little bit right. quicker. Right. Uh, so that's the information that we have on any given folder or sword or apron or book or whatever. Uh, and then that gets put on the website with that information tied to it. Uh, the end game is, uh, along with a photo, if we have a photo of it, uh, sure. Uh, the end game is one have more photos because uh, right now we only have we only have images of photos. We'd also like images of the 3D stuff, like artifacts. Of, you know, we'd like pictures of swords and aprons and canes and whatever else we have. Right. Uh, we also want more scans of our textual documents. Uh, but one of the things that's actually it doesn't get touted as much as being helpful but once we have everything inventoried and on there what needs to happen a lot is description uh, because description is the thing that helps you know what you're looking for when you're going through stuff online and right. that is more detailed information and a little bit actually a little bit of history on whatever the item is because right now if you saw like the we have oh, okay. We have a little. Uh, we have a couple of our annual proceedings up on that particular website, uh, which is another project that we're getting ready to start and do more work on. But uh, the what we have right now is a PDF that you can click open and you can just view the entire annual proceedings from 1870. Right. Uh, and with that, the information would be Grand Lodge of Kansas annual proceedings 1870. Uh, I don't know, ARC 54. And that's what we'd have with that with that individual annual proceeding. The end goal would to be have still have the scan with it, have something along the lines of Grand Lodge of Kansas annual proceedings, 1870, and then with a description on it, have, oh, for an annual proceeding, maybe some of the big events that were talked about in the Grand Master's address in there. Right. Uh, maybe something about cornerstones that were laid, uh, maybe some of the big names, like always with annual proceedings, you could have something along the lines of uh, one of the ways the software works is you can make tags. Uh, so you could have a tag of the Grand Master that year uh, or the location, the town that the annual proceeding was held in. And so when you do searches on the software or on the website, you can type in, oh, I'm looking for the grandmaster strain or something like that or uh something just pick a grandmaster you can type in their name or location and instead of having well right now having nothing brought up it would bring in if you typed in the grandmaster's name it would bring up his grandmaster papers collection it would bring in hopefully his annual proceeding that he was attached to that year it could bring in uh 
artifacts that he donated. Uh, we want to have we want to have the online profile of the online collection fleshed out a lot more, right. uh, a lot more work done with it with tags and description. And, uh, one of the, one of the things that we can do on that website is have controlled searches where we will, we will basically curate a controlled search for a, like a specific collection. So if you were going, if you wanted to go and look at online proceedings, instead of having to type in annual proceedings and maybe getting bringing up some extra stuff that gets thrown in there for some some honestly a mistake on my half somewhere uh, you can we'll have a button down at the bottom that is just annual proceedings and it'll take you and it'll pop up a list of all the annual proceedings uh, stuff like that is I think the best way maybe to answer your question to push the access to it and present that stuff because no matter what situation an archives is in, there is a finite amount of face-to-face access you can get. Right. Uh, the majority of it has to come from either. Well, nowadays it has to come from your online side. I mean, that's yeah. that's, that's that's the facts of it, and that that's something we'll have to work on. Well, yeah, and just the 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 simple fact of. You know, the Grand Lodge is only a one part of Kansas, and we have a whole state of brothers that you know would mm-hmm. would love access, be able to see that stuff, and brothers outside of Kansas as well, and even outside of the U.S. You know, it's yeah. history uh, everyone's interested in. So yeah, in a digital means on a website would uh, definitely be optimal for everyone to be able to have access to that and learn from it. Um, we are getting a little on the lengthy side, but there's okay. two more uh, items that I just want to touch on uh, briefly. Uh, one of those is volunteer work. Obviously, you guys have a ton of uh, a, a huge battle in front of you, so to say. Yeah. Um, what kind of volunteer work, if any, are you guys seeking, and uh, how can people get involved? Okay, that is. I'm really glad you brought this up because I take every opportunity to get the word out for volunteers because we do absolutely need them. Indeed. Uh, the main one, I, I kind of like to break this down by on-site and off-site volunteering. Uh, the because on a person-by-person basis, you're limited to where and what you can do, right. uh, which we completely understand. Uh, so the on-site uh, volunteering, uh, the main project that we have, in, have going right now is the membership card uh, digitization, digitization project, which I don't actually think I've brought up yet, uh, but is a main, a big ongoing project that is now, at the state it's in now, is purely on a volunteer work basis the kind of the foundation work and streamlining it streamlining of the work by me is kind of done uh because it's such the project is we're digitizing all the membership cards that we have at the grand lounge of kansas uh roughly and estimated by our our drawer count of being around four hundred and thirty thousand cards uh so that I always like to explain if we if that was done by staff at at the Grand Lodge if I if it was a job for me to do I could do that eight hours a day every week and maybe get done in a year uh, so it's just something that I can't do uh, so it has to be unfortunately we have to push it off onto volunteers uh, which we actually started to in the last month of July slash June we have gotten a little bit more volunteers uh but that is that is something where someone would come in and have to come on site 
we have one scanning uh, uh, desk, essentially. We have everything already set up. We have it streamlined as simple as possible. I've had the people that we have come in and do it so far are, have basically already ran the gamut of, I guess if you want to put age and tech savvy, uh, we've had people on the low end come in and do fine. We have people come in the high end and obviously do fine. So I'm comfortable in saying anyone can do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the Honestly, the most de- demanding part of it is removing staples because some cards yeah. are held by staples. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's the hardest part of it. The other, the, other than that, you're putting cards in a machine and the machine does the rest of it and then you're saving the images. Uh, but that is the big thing if you came in and uh on site and wanted to volunteer uh and it does get a little bit monotonous so you can do as little or as much as you want to do we've had people come in and do two or three hours we've had a couple people who i don't know how but have done about five to six hours just straight uh we've had we've had people come in and knock up knock out about a thousand cards in a day so they when volunteers come in they make good progress and we love having volunteers because they do from what I've seen with volunteers that have come to the Grand Lodge of Kansas they do incredible work so anytime I can get anyone else to come in or so someone who's already come in to come back is a big help uh, Definitely. if not scanning cards is your jam uh, we have other projects that and you want to come in to the Grand Lodge of Kansas we have other projects that can be worked on. Uh, basically, if you come into the Grand Lodge of Kansas and you want to do some amount of work somewhere, I can easily find you something to do. <laughs> there is no shortage of work that can be done either on a sometimes sometimes I call it grunt labor or busy work, but about seventy five percent of archival work is busy work, anyways. Yeah. Uh, so usually, usually I'll be there beside you doing it too. Uh, so that's kind of the on site stuff. The off site stuff is we've kind of been limited of what we can do just because of resources that we can send out. Uh, We've been limited recently to only kind of transcribing type projects. We have a lot of uh, of interesting stuff. Actually, it's actually from that Lodge transcript collection that I was talking about earlier. Okay. A lot of that stuff is, like I said, super interesting and helpful and very research engaging. Uh, but a lot of it is in 1880s loopy script. Oh yeah, I call, I call it loopy script, which is really hard to read. Uh, and I found that there's lots, couple of volunteers out out there uh, that I've worked with that are really good at transcribing it. Uh, and so what we'll do is we scan those images uh, and send them out to someone, and on their own time on their own computer or wherever they transcribe them, uh, type them out into type font that is readable. Uh, and send them back to us, and then when we put those eventually online, uh, we put them side by side, so you can, you don't have to read the loopy script. Right. Uh, and then the actually the one I want to mention now that is a new, uh, actually you'll be, you'll be the first person I'm actually talking to about this. Uh, the dispensation project uh, that we're doing now has a. Uh, off-site volunteer side to it that we can actually start to work with now. Uh, one, you'll get to look at the original dispensations for lodges, uh, what we're doing with of how we're digitizing them and how we're scanning them. They come back to us basically unnamed on the file. 
because right. uh, uh, us doing our scanning on our own side and we're using for some of the larger larger charters, which are usually 16 by 24 inches, we send them off-site because we don't have we just don't have the scanner size to do it. So we send them off-site and they'll come back basically. Oh, I don't know. Image one, image two, image three, image four, which is not very helpful when you're looking for a specific dis- dispensation that gives sure. to someone or make a display display out of it. So we'd send those off in bunches out to a volunteer, and they would basic basically they would get to open up the file, look at the dispensation, figure out what lodge it belonged to, and then rename the file. Uh, again. And I'm realizing this now because it's the first person I'm telling this to. Sounds a little dry. <laughs> Sounds a little boring. Uh, that's kind of the nature of the work, unfortunately, is a lot of busy work. But you do get a look at original dispensations, which in themselves is very cool. I've, been, I've got to look at – I've been working on this project and going through them by hand. And they're pretty cool, especially the early ones that are 16 by 24, and you get to see the kind of – Artwork's not the right word, but kind of script work with the kind of the writing and the the letter stamping. Right. You get to see you get to see the original officers uh, and kind of all that stuff. So it it is cool. And if you if you find li- literally the first document that is given to a lodge to give them right to meet as a lodge, you would get a look at all of them, which I think is pretty cool. Right. Uh, char- charters are cool because they are. I mean. They're the thing that lodges are usually historically tied to, but the dispensation came first. Uh, I'm not saying one is more important than the other, but as far as chronologically, the dispensation came first, so I think they're also pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. So that is something that we could also use help on. Most definitely. And we'll come back in just a second to uh, address, you know, contact information and stuff and how people can get involved with that. Uh, The last question I want to touch on before we wrap things up is – you guys have so much in the Grand Lodge to go through, but that's not all the history out there. Obviously, every one of the lodges within the state of Kansas has a plethora of information and history as well um, that you know is pertaining to the Grand Lodge and all that. So what are some steps that the individual lodges can be taking to help this process their end and then get that information to you? Okay, yeah, that's a good question. I remember, and I probably need to do something like this again. Uh, one of the things that we did when we first started, when I first started working here, is we did, I did kind of an outreach thing where I sent out, I sent out a letter to all officers uh, and secretaries at the time. I sent out a letter that kind of outlined. One, it was kind of an introduction about who I am and what I was doing, and then two, the second part of it was a kind of a list essentially that kind of identified the important stuff that your lodge should have because uh, one of the one of the things that a institution should do if it has records is basically identify what is worth keeping and preserving and what isn't uh, so that letter kind of outlined that and it would if I was prepared I'd have some sort of list with me right now that I could go off of uh, but if someone was questioning what to keep or what to do, we've had lodges that were going through kind of their own renovation, or some individual member took it upon themselves as, "Oh, I'm going to go through, I'm going to go through this closet, or I'm going to go through this filing cabinet." Right. And then they could, they could reach out to me. Uh, I field questions like that fairly often. Uh, that's kind of the, the, I guess the two. 
big things I get are what to keep, what not to keep, what's important, what's not important, and then kind of the how-to is uh, how to preserve this specific thing, how to preserve this group of things, right. uh, uh, which I always encourage, I guess, reaching out to me uh, would be the best way. Sure. Uh, sure. I want to do uh, – another thing is I used to do – if a lodge – how it's right now is be limited by my time. If a lodge will reach out to me, I will do a site visit. Uh, usually I do this because they are looking to get rid of stuff and they don't know what to keep and what to not keep and what to send to us. So I'll go out there and help them. A couple times I've just done it when they were trying to go through their stuff and it was a lot easier for me to do it hands-on, which I like I like doing. When I first started working here, we kind of had an idea of site visits being a regular thing and being a thing where we kind of scheduled and reached out to people to do them. The way it's worked out with how much information and stuff we have at the Grand Lodge, it's not that way. That will have to be another – that will kind of be at the end when website work will kind of take place. Uh, but right now it works if – I will do it if the Lodge reaches out to me and they want it to happen. Then I will sure. drop what I'm doing and go go out and help, which I like. One, it helps me do my job a lot better because I see what Lodges have and what their kind of – the situation they're dealing with it helps me – broaden my perspective uh and two i think it helped them a lot by kind of getting themselves in order and having uh i i don't want to say an authority but somewhat of an authority <laughs> help them out on the matter uh so that's that's something that i really like when it happens it's just i would schedule the plan is for me to eventually schedule more of them and do them on my own but as sure. of right now it's more if the lodge wants this to happen i will drop what i'm doing and i'll i'll, I'll travel wherever <laughs> Right. Right on. Well, I know I know one of the ways that we've been doing that in my lodge is, you know, obviously the digitization methods. We, we've got a lot of work to do on the preservation um, side, and I know we've talked about some of that, and I, I need to do uh, some more looking into the best, you know, acid-free type of stuff to put our, our minute books and all that stuff in. Um, but on the digitization side, we've uh, we've been using Google Drive and getting everything, mm -hmm. you know, scanned in in that manner. Um, would you like for people to be able to do kind of that same thing and then get those records over to you if they scan in a minute book or old papers and stuff? What is the best formats and the best way to get that over to you? Absolutely, yeah. We take uh, we have our view on taking digital uh, works is the, basically the same as physical stuff. Because when lodges want to get rid of physical things, they usually just call me up and go, "I have this, this, and this uh, from sure. that list. What do you want?" Uh, usually we take all of it and just weed it on our end, uh, but digital stuff is the same way. Uh, Google Drives and uh, oh, what's the other one? Uh, Dropbox. Dropbox and yeah, yeah, Dropbox. If that's a good way to work, if you have a lot of information, uh, large files, uh, we have and use both of those. Uh, so we'll take we'll take them that way. Uh, and if they're smaller stuff, honestly, you can just email me. Sure. Uh, but we take. Basically, our view our view is we do have a collection policy and we do weed stuff uh, and either physical stuff we will donate or recycle or send them off to the right right location. Right. Uh, but digital stuff is the same way we have for either digital or physical. We usually just to like take everything, <laughs> uh, just say yeah, send it all, and then kind of do the weeding on our end. 
Uh, so we will certainly, hands down, take whatever you have. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, and yeah, like you said, the Google Drive and Dropbox is a really, really good way to do that. Definitely. And you know, I, I've kind of gone around and done some uh, speaking engagements promoting this aspect of it, and it's a very, it's a very important step to take because, like I've said, you know, you're, you're plagued with those possibilities of what could happen to your physical copies. Obviously, we want to take measures to make them last as long as they possibly can, but you also have to sit with the realization that they're not going to last forever. And yeah. if we don't do something now that falls on us. You know, it's here right now, so it's our responsibility. So we want those to last as long as possible, but we also want to make sure they last past their physical means. Yeah. Uh, so we get those into digital, um, into a digital format, we're able to preserve that better. But then you also have the aspect that digital means have troubles too. There's viruses, corrupt files, yeah. loss of disks, all that. Losing, um, <laughs> losing yeah, them somewhere. Fat fingers even. I, I, don't, I can't tell you how many times <laughs> I've clicked on the wrong thing and deleted it. Um, so things I promoted when I when I do my speaking engagements on this topic is to save in multiple different digital formats so maybe have a Google Drive but also have a thumb drive and then give that thumb drive to maybe your officers keep one at Lodge and get it to Grand Lodge um, you know the more yeah. places you have that information the better chance it's going to be preserved long term so I definitely want to encourage everybody the Grand Lodge has their work cut out for many years with what they have already um, we want our lodges information to be preserved as well. So let's take that upon ourselves in the best way that we can. And I mean, the technology is there. Our cell phone does so much that just wasn't even capable from the biggest machines yeah. a couple decades ago. Yeah. Um, you know, take it upon yourself, get a committee and start digitizing stuff and take those steps to take some of the burden off the Grand Lodge. Um, because the simple fact is if it's not done, there's a huge chance it's gonna be lost. So please take the time to do your part and get it to Grand Lodge so that it can further be preserved and archived and cataloged so that we all know that it exists. Yeah, that is, that's a good message. <laughs> I, should, I should write some of that down. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, we are, um, like I said, getting pretty long on here. I think we've touched everything I really wanted to cover on. So at this point, I just wanna hand it over to you for any final plugs and contact info that anybody uh, you know might want to get in touch with you either for volunteer side or just to chat it out yeah absolutely uh, for ans answering questions that like you'd want to reach out to me uh, phone you can just call the Grand Lodge office uh, and I should have the, I should have this memorized well we can uh, we can put that in the links as well so whatever yeah. you give here we'll have linked on the on the okay. website and description okay line. Perfect. Yeah, uh, calling calling the Grand Lodge and choosing my extension. Uh, it's extension three. It'll say my name. Uh, that's a good way to reach out to me, uh, especially if you want to talk in person to person where you don't know maybe exactly you don't know exactly what the question is you need to ask. Uh, but that's a good way to reach out to me. I am at my office eight to four thirty every weekday, and I'm pretty good at getting back on uh, voicemails that are left. Uh, email, which I actually can remember, uh, but you can also do the link as well, is uh, Dylan, Dylan, D-Y-L-A-N, at KansasMason.org, uh, and that'll just redirect to my personal email, and I'm that's how I do almost all my genealogy research, uh, all my reference requests, I answer through that email, so that's a good way to reach out to me. Uh, I would also like to, I always like to try to shout out our new online collection, website which 
I will also have to be put have to be put in the link because it's not it's has a weird .com because it's its server is through uh, PassPerfect, or the company that hosts the server. Uh, so if you're ever if you're ever on the lookout for uh, either Masonic photos that deal with Kansas uh, or uh, some Masonic textual documents are up there as well right now. I think we're up to 300 photos up there right now. Uh, next time we do a uh, upload, I guess, to the website, hopefully that'll increase uh, and there'll be a lot more textual stuff. Hopefully we hope to add the annual proceedings up on there so everyone can search through the annual proceedings because it has a good context chronologically of everything that's happened in Kansas masonry since since the inception. So that's that's a good resource that we want to have up there, hopefully sometime. Definitely. And I I will say too, I think another big website to shout out is the Grand Lodge website, KansasMason.org. And I believe that yes. past perfect site is available as a link on there yes. as well. Yeah, the link the link is on there under uh, I think it's under the library uh, page. There's a library uh, reference page and then there is the online collection. Wonderful. All right. Well, Dylan, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today. You've brought a ton of information and insight to the subject. Uh, we really appreciate having you on. And I uh, hope to do this again and kind of touch on uh, some more topics and uh, kind of catch in with you as, as the progress continues. Um, I definitely like to, you know, work something out. As you know, I'm also a proud Kansas Mason and a history nerd, but we can team up on that somehow. So hope we'll make that work out. But I want to thank you again for coming on the show today, and we will talk to you soon. Yeah, absolutely. This has been this is really fun, and I appreciate anytime anyone helps me with the that access side because I'm not. I don't want to say I'm not good at it, but right now the pre preservation is taking up all of my time, and so Definitely. when anyone when anyone helps me, I am so appreciative of it because it does a lot for me and it does a lot for the Grand Lodge of Kansas. So sure. I absolutely appreciate it. Not a problem. Well, thank you so much again, and we'll, we'll talk to you soon. You take All right. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed that just as much as I did. Dylan, it was a pleasure getting to chat with you on that tonight. Really, I want to tell you just the hugest of props to you. You came in to such a big amount of work to get done, and I know for us you know, history nerds, that's kind of the joy and passion of the job, but you have so much passion and experience going into this. I really can't think of anyone else that I'd prefer to have on the job. So thank you, sir, for everything that you do. It means the world to Freemasonry as a whole, but to Kansas Masons in particular, um, that we know our history is going to be maintained and preserved in the best of manners. I want to thank you uh, for everything you've done over there. I want to thank all of you out there for definitely joining us again and uh, following the show and helping us grow into what we're becoming. Um, you guys mean the world to me. It's brothers like you, Mark and Bill, you know, they'll come down, take time out of their busy schedule to come see me speak in person. You know, the viewers of this show honestly just mean the world to me. So I want to thank you guys so much for, for sticking with us and watching us as we grow and becoming a part of our community. So until we get a chat next time, guys, please go see us over at the Facebook group. That's the Historical Light Masonic Research Group on Facebook. If you're not a member, get in the group. Click join. We'll get you in there. Great conversations on a daily basis, amazing history coming out all the time. Make sure you remember that group. So we'll chat there until the next episode when we continue our quest for historical light. Take care.